Welcome. Um, I'm going to do a little bit bait, bait and switch. Um, I am not the one giving the sermon today. Um, but I get to introduce um, my mom, Maureen Deslitz, who will be um, bringing the word to us uh, this morning. Um, and before I turn the mic over to her, I'm going to brag about her a little bit because I can do that because I have the microphone. Um, <laughs> So before I was on the scene, um, she was on staff with Campus Crusade, now known as Crew, um, at, serving at Syracuse University, Casanova College, SUNY Stony Brook, Queens College, and City College in Harlem. Um, she went back to school to Bethel Seminary of the East, where she received her master's, um, and served as a long-term uh, children's ministry um, leader at Church of the Nativity Episcopal Church in Northboro. And now she calls Journey Community Church home, um, where she serves um, on life groups, the Connection Center, Stephen Ministry. Um, I don't actually know what your title is. It's changed so many times, but it's kind of the Swiss Army knife of co uh, not college. Church. Ooh, Freudian slip. Journey Community <laughs> Church. Um, and with that, I will turn it over to her. Thank you, Naomi. My best job title, my favorite job title, maybe not the one I've been best at, is Mom to Naomi, uh, my claim to fame really here. Um, and wife to my husband Todd, we're celebrating our 29th anniversary, so longevity, if not perfection. Um, but yeah, I'm thrilled to be here, so honored to be here. was so excited when, um, when I come to visit Naomi and I'm meeting Pastor Bill in the hallway and then we're, you know, we totally geek out and talk about sermon illustrations and talk about theologians and that's my favorite thing to do. So when he asked me, would you be willing to come and preach while I'm on vacation, I said yes. <laughs> so I have six people covering my jobs at Journey Church this morning. <laughs> And that was a disturbing reality. I'm like, uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to press into that later. Um, and Naomi and I just returned from two days and nights at the beach. So it was very cool and comfortable. So if you're hot, go on up to Wells. It's beautiful there. Or it was when we were there, although I hear now it's raining. So um, Pastor Bill gave me some wonderful instructions, including if it's really hot, I preach less and give them a break. I'm going to try. Um, so I'm thrilled to continue in the sermon series that you've been in, in the book of James. Very exciting for me because at Journey, we're preaching through the, through the entire Bible. So we've been in the Old Testament for two years now. So I was excited to be in the New Testament. It's fun. Um, and I know that Pastor Bill introduced the book of James to you, talking about the author, James, writing to Jewish Christians, many of them poor, marginalized many of them considered outcasts by both Jews and Romans. And the audience is important as we look at this false argument or this false dichotomy. So considering who the author is and the audience is, is very important as we study this book, as we study this particular section of the book. I know Pastor Bill described the book as a theology of suffering, but not just for suffering's sake. Like you're suffering, we're offering this up to Christ, but for a reason, for a growth. So as we suffer, as we strive, as we press deeper, our goal is growth, and we want to see the fruit of that growth. And the idea that it would result in good deeds, in a life of compassionate action, in a life considered worthy of contemplation, of pointing to the Lord, and of works of justice and generosity. And I know that describes college churches' aims, and college church's reality, which is so exciting. 
Uh, so as the title says, um, faith and deeds, or words and work, not face, faith versus deeds, not words versus works. It's the idea of there's no separation, there's unity, there's harmony. There's a both and stance that they talk about um, in difficult conversations in the idea of um, kind of communication strategy and making kind of appropriations. It's both and, not either or. Uh, the ancients, the mystics, called it the little way, not this or that, but another whole way, the Jesus way, the upside-down, topsy-turvy kingdom that Jesus never felt for that choose one, either or. No, he was like, I'm going to answer that question in a totally different way, often with another question, because that's how Jesus did it. So let's jump into the passage where in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, and you'll see it on the screen, and I'll be reading um, from the NIV. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God? Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor, Abraham, considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The word of the Lord. So it's important for us to kind of look at um, definitions and what words really mean and what they um, mean to the original audience, the original author, and what they mean to us today in 2023. So that idea of James is saying, to, he, when he's bringing this whole like faith versus deeds, faith and actions, he's also speaking to people who are so-called believers, who call themselves believers. Um, and we can imagine that, does he have some questions about that? Like, wait a minute. Um, people can call themselves anything they want, um, but what is the fruit? Where do you see that? Where is the proof? Where is the evidence? Where, where, we're very suspicious. We want to know and we want to be shown. The message version, which I, I know Paul Sorrentino uses here, so if Paul Sorrentino, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us, right? And I love it, because it just smacks me in a different way. Um, the message version of verse 14 says, do you think you'll get anywhere in this faith journey if you learn all the right words, but never do anything? 
God talk without God action is outrageous nonsense. So that idea of put your money where your mouth is, don't just say it, show me. It's that very practical, tangible, pragmatic human thing. So when James is saying, he's bringing up this issue because he has real practical concerns. Um, if you say, go, be clothed, be well fed, have shelter, have fun at your job, good luck with those kids of yours, but there's no support system in place. Now James is writing to Christians in that church, so he's not saying for every single human, although God says we are the family of God, right? Like when we wanna to try to wiggle out of these things, well, that's not me. Oh, I don't have to do that. That isn't a command for me. That's not an invitation for me. That's not an opportunity for me. But is it? Where is that coming from? It might not be. Here, no condemnation here. Romans 8.1, no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. I preach, as I prepared this message over the several weeks, I have to preach it to myself first. I have to not only believe it, but I have to be living it. So I have the gall to stand up here with a microphone and share what God has shared with me, with you all. So that idea of what is God inviting you to do? What could be your peace? Mother Teresa said, maybe you are not responsible for laying out the whole banquet but it is yours to do perhaps to give someone a cup of water. What is the little piece that you can do with all the other little pieces from all the people here to do for all the people who love the Lord and seek to obey his commands and serve him and bring him glory and bless his people? So it's all together, but it's us individually and us collectively. So it's again that both and, it shows up everywhere. And when we're talking about faith, belief, it's not just up here in our heads, right? It's not just an intellectual assent. Faith is trust expressed in action. And that idea of a relationship, when we have faith in God, we don't have faith in just an idea or a concept. We have faith in God. We have faith in Jesus. We're going to celebrate at the end of the service. We're going to celebrate communion. We're going to remember Jesus, the ultimate one who put his money where his mouth was, who acted on his words and was faithful to his promise, even to the point of laying down his life. So the message also says that faith and deeds, words and work fit like a hand in a glove. That idea of they're that closely tied together, they're that interwoven. And again, to clarify, the works or deeds or our actions are the fruit of our salvation, not the root of our salvation. Very important, one letter can make a big difference. It authenticates our faith. It is evidentiary, it is the tangible expression of our faith. I believe it, I think it, I say it, I do it. It all matches up. So we don't earn we're not working to deserve. We're not trying to appease a capricious God, but the one true God, God who loves us, who made us for relationship with him. So as faith without action or words without works are dead, in verse 26, it says there's no life, there's no power, there's no Holy Spirit breath, there's no presence of God because God is the bringer of life. In verse 19, there's also this caution um, when it says it's not enough to just say. 
without doing. It's not enough, it's not finished or completed or perfected. But here this, perfected doesn't mean no mistakes or we'd all be doomed. Again, while we're celebrating communion, Jesus did for us what we could not do. And again, we're not looking at what we can't do. We're looking at what we are invited to do, what we can do, what we have the opportunity to do, what we have an option to do. But only God can complete, perfect, make whole and holy that which we in our humanness and our brokenness, we can't do. And God knows that. He never asks us, scripture tells us again and again and again, he never asks us to do more than he empowers us to do, than he equips us to do, as we lean on him, as we rely also on him. So it's again this interwovenness. But it says it's not enough for you just to say, I believe, yeah, okay, I'll agree that there's God. He says the demons say that and they shudder. Ah, we don't wanna be, like that's like the negative example. We don't wanna be like the demons. Okay, so who do we want to be like? What could be our role models? What are our examples? In verse 20 through 26, um, they give us two, pretty un, uh, one pretty likely and one a very unlikely, like voted most likely to be included in a sermon as opposed to voted most likely to maybe not be touched in a sermon. So our buddies Abraham and Rahab. So Abraham is, you know, he's a big dude. Then, now, you mentioned Abraham, everyone's going to be like, oh yeah, I know that dude. So it was reckoned to Abraham, righteous, his actions, not just his belief, but his actions, when he brought his son up to the mountain to sacrifice. And when they left their servants behind, he said, we'll be back. Even as he was obeying the Lord to sacrifice his son, his son whom he loved, how did he know that he and his son would be back when he was going to sacrifice his son on the altar. It's at both and. I will obey the Lord and I will trust that somehow he will work it out. So Abram's faith and his actions were based on not knowing. And therein lies faith, the evidence of things not seen when we don't know. Because it's easier. I don't, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's easier if I know everything that's going to happen, if I know all the details, if I can plan for all the contingencies. But that often is not how God blesses me. <laughs> he sometimes gives me some information, but I don't know all the stuff. I don't know everything, and he invites me to press into that. So perhaps that's an Achilles heel for you. Well, if I had a little more information... Not to say we shouldn't be equipped and be organized, and, but is there any room? Are we leaving any room for our faith, for our trust, for our, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen, but I'm going to be part of it. I picture your Ukrainian and Romanian team has had a lot of prayer and planning, and they've got tickets and an itinerary, and you got everything. Um, but when I was in Russia, which was a long time ago, when dinosaurs ruled the earth, the first thing I did was give my watch away because they said, uh, American girl, please don't look at your watch anymore because time was very different then. And unexpected because you're dealing with people and humans are notoriously unpredictable. And therein lies the joy and the challenge, which is why we're going to be praying more than anything else, right? So Abraham is reckoned righteous, but then we also have the A to Z, that's the A part of the A to Z, now Z, Rahab. 
So when you read prostitute, um, think of a woman enslaved in a culture that sees her as an object, who um, she is operating perhaps not under her own steam, just in case you're too inclined to be judgy of Rahab. A woman, a foreign woman, not part of the family of God, who feared the Lord before she knew the Lord, who perhaps had heard the rumblings and heard about these people of God who were coming. This is pre-Battle of Jericho, pre-the walls came tumbling down. But she knew God was drawing her. And so in an act of treason, she sheltered the foreign soldiers. She hid them, and then she proved a way for them to escape. She threw her lot in with the Lord God before really knowing anything about him. She believed before she belonged. She acted at great sacrifice and at great risk to herself. She was very brave and courageous, and that's why she is grafted in, and we read about her again and again in scripture. So perhaps you can think of a more modern example. You can think of a more contemporary person who you have seen or experienced, or maybe you personally benefited from them being a person not only of faith, but of action, not only of words, but of works. Or perhaps you can remember a time in your life when you felt that nudge of the Holy Spirit, when you were called by God to step into something, and then you watched it unfold, and you saw how God worked in and through you, and it was marvelous. Or perhaps maybe more poignantly, you can remember a missed opportunity, a time when there might have been a little open, a little opening and you failed to walk through, or you failed to speak, or you missed a chance to give, you missed a chance to be different. Again, no condemnation. Use that as an example perhaps to yourself to say, okay, I don't want to do that again. I want to learn from that mistake. God is going to use that, uh, perhaps in a more powerful way than our so-called successes, that our failures, our falls forward, fuel us to ask God to help us to be more like him and less like us, more like the person he wants us to be and to become. And that's exciting because the possibilities are endless. In verse 22, again, we talk about that perfected, not the no mistakes, but the brought to maturity, that we're growing in Christ. We're growing, not just chronologically, not just age-wise, but we're growing in our knowledge of the Lord. We're growing in our belief, strengthening it as we question, as we struggle, as we learn, as we pray, as we help others, as we serve alongside with others. We're rubbing all those rough edges off. So as we are maturing in our faith, that's part of our transformation and our sanctification. And we can be lifelong learners and lifelong lovers of the Lord and his people, wherever we're at, whatever age, whatever stage. And that's really exciting. James's point when he talks about we're demonstrating our faith, letting our faith show through, not to earn our salvation, not so that we can deserve God's goodness, because we can't do that. So we have to get that straight in our heads, right? God's grace is only ever enough. And this verse, um, this kind of three verses, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and I'm adding 10, like I've read this, I've preached on this, uh, but why didn't I always include 10 with 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Um, so this just keeps jumping out at me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The ultimate example of the both and stance, not either or. For by grace we have been saved. It's a gift, it's not from ourselves, we don't earn it, we don't deserve it, it's not because we're good. So get that straight and then, and now guess what you get to do? We are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. We have to stay like the vine and the branches. We've got to stay connected to him for good works. What good works? The good works God's prepared in advance for us to do before the foundation of the earth. So he's got a plan. Do we know that plan? We don't know all of that plan. He knows the plan and we know him who holds the plan. So what do we have to do? We have to ask him. As the author of Hebrews says, draw near to the throne of grace. When you lack wisdom, cry out to him. He is pleased, he is delighted to tell you, to shine the light on maybe just the next step, the next right step, the next thing, um, and just keep coming back and keep on doing it and keep on doing it. That's what I love about the biblical Greek. Not a lot I loved about biblical Greek because it was the most challenging thing I ever studied. But the idea of their verbs are like technicolor compared to our black and white. So that idea of it's ongoing, it's a present, it happened in the past, but it's ongoing in the future and it just keeps filling up. It's like this continual waterfall of go to God, God will give you what you need. Go to God, God will give you what you need. Because of the different audiences that the author of James, James himself, and the Apostle Paul, that people sometimes set up this false thing like, well, you can either believe James or you can believe Paul, and then you have to pick and choose the scripture, and doesn't scripture tell us not to change, not a jot, not a tittle, not a dot, not a dot of the I, a cross of the T, don't change anything. You can't just pick and choose and throw stuff out. And therein lies the challenge. When Pastor Bill and I were talking about this, he was, we were talking about Martin Luther, the famous Martin Luther saying, calling the epistle of James an epistle of straw. Just throw it out. Yikes, we can't be doing that though. Um, we can't be just picking and choosing scripture as we like. We have to have it in its whole entirety, the whole length and breadth of scripture. But if they're talking about different issues, if we're clarifying, oh, this was for Paul was talking about Gentiles being received into the church who didn't have circumcision in their physical bodies, and he was talking about their circumcision of their heart and their faith. That's a totally different issue than James talking about Christians, Jewish Christians who pay, perhaps were getting a little fat and lazy and didn't want to try to go outside of their comfort zone, didn't care about others who were in need, who had less. Um, that doesn't just sound like the ancient days, that sounds like 2023. And a culture that tells us, just be worried about yourself, don't care about anyone else. You pulled yourself up by the bootstraps, that's in scripture, right? Isn't that? No, no, that's not in scripture. That's the world saying, just worry about yourself. Jesus saying, care about your brothers and sisters. 
in the church, care about people in the community, care about refugees, care about children, care about Romanians and Ukrainians. Yeah, but they're not under my roof, but God's heart beats for them. Therefore, our heart has to beat for them. We want our heart to break with what breaks God's heart. That's how we are known as his people. And when people see Christians, they think, oh, well, that's different in a good way. Not that maybe Christians they might see on the news with foul placards and waving a lot of banners and not sounding much like the Jesus that we see who reveals himself from his word. So as James has a problem with the failure in his church and Paul of, of giving and being generous and caring and Paul sees a problem in his church with people not accepting people who are different than them. We can learn from both of those things, but neither of those are a good enough reason for us to get into a false argument, but we can have harmony, we can have unity with that both and stance. And that both and stance, being able to not compare apples to oranges and get kind of tied up in harsh words that we don't, it's a false fight. It's not a fight we need to be in. There's enough fighting that we don't wanna pick false fights, right? We don't wanna get into arguments that aren't really real um, if we wanna to try to have some peace and harmony with others, even with our own brothers and sisters in the church, Never mind then outside in the big bad world where we might be arguing. So you'll have these in your bulletin, the reflection questions. So things for you to think about as you Ponder what God has for you in this and anything that God says to you and the way the Holy Spirit nudges you obviously uh, trumps my words. But if these questions are helpful for you to think about this week, um, how does this passage and how does understanding this passage perhaps with some clarity today, um, how does it challenge your assumptions about that false argument of faith versus deeds, words versus works? How does seeing that in harmony and not contradictory, how does that help you? What does it invite you into? What would God invite your response to be? Full of grace and mercy. God in his love saying, I don't want you to miss this opportunity. Not the finger wagging of, come on now. Work till you drop. No, again, that's another cultural thing. Jesus never says that. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so if you're feeling someone put a heavy burden on you, that's not a Jesus yoke. That's an icky human yoke, and you can get rid of that. Where do you hear God's encouragement? Where do you see his promises for you that he is faithful, that he has created you, you are his workmanship, he delights over you, he has work for you to do, his plan for this earth as well as for eternity includes you. You are part of it. What a joy and a, what a delight. And where else might you use this both and stance rather than either or? It could help you for, like I said, this is used in corporations. I've read it in light of a communication theory book, but you can use it in a lot. It's a human thing. We can use it in a lot. And lastly, a quote from the Life Application Bible. Now I'll read about 10 commentaries to do a sermon prep, but sometimes it's the simplest stuff like the message, like the Life Application Bible, that said this quote, no one is moved to action without faith, and no one's faith is real without seeing action. No one is moved to action without faith, and no one's faith is real without action. 
It is God who draws us to himself. It is God who puts anything good in us is a deposit from the Holy Spirit. God is the one who will motivate us and fuel us and connect us in ways that are needed. So I pray that that will inspire you, encourage you, and exhort you this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you reveal yourself in your word. I pray that you would open our eyes to see you more clearly. I pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would receive all that you have for us, all the encouragement, all the inspiration, all the equipping. God, I ask that you would help us to be your hands and feet in our church families, with our human families, with our friends, at our workplace, in our schools, in our community, God. Help us to be a light in this dark world. And thank you for your promise that the light has come and the darkness has not overcome it. God, we want to give you all the glory. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your great love for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.